0: Hey, this is John leggett of johnleggett and I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast. This podcast is a live recording of an interview I do each week with other internet marketers, personal development and business leaders where we talk about how we can better promote our products and services online, get more traffic and make more sales. I hope you get a lot out of today's recording. Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. We have a very special guest with us today. We have Dr. Chris Friesen from Canada. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, John. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Let me tell you a bit about Chris. He's a psychologist who has always been fascinated by what makes people successful. He's a licensed clinical forensic and neuropsychologist, but now primarily helps professional national olympic and up and running elite athletes as well as other high achievers such as professionals entrepreneurs executives academics and writers achieve their personal and professional potential he's currently director of friesen sport and performance psychology and a contributor to success.com he's also the author of achieve find out who you are what you really want and how to make it happen one of the top selling sports psychology books right now on Amazon. So again, thank you, Chris, for, for joining us on the podcast. Just to get us started, help our listeners and myself know a bit more about yourself. So tell us about your growing up. Where were you born? What was like life like for you as a kid? Sure. That's uh and this is very relevant to, to what I do. So
1: I'm I'm obviously like you said, I'm Canadian born in toronto ontario canada which is the biggest city in canada it's right near the actually all the canadian uh, populations right on the border with the united states pretty much so i was born in canada i um i you know canada's national sport and uh, passion is hockey uh, and yeah. this does play a role in my <laughs> development as well i was a bit of an anxious kid especially when it came to my schooling i just wasn't doing very well in school. In Canada, you uh, there's a lot of French because it's our we have two national languages, and and a lot of the schooling I was taking was in French, and I think that hindered me a little bit. But um, uh, I did very poorly in school, and I was struggling, and this actually affected my self-esteem, and I developed a lot of anxiety uh, around schooling, uh, and this this was combined with a genetic predisposition to be a little higher on the personality dimension of negative emotions, which we can talk about later, all the main personality dimensions. Uh, you know, this is this. Our, our personalities are about 50%, so five zero percent inherited. So, but f- half of our personality is based on our genes, and the other half is based on our experiences in our environment. Okay. Mm. So, so you kind of put those together, and it, it, I was a pretty anxious kid. I was, a, you know, really nervous to be called out in class, and I, you know, I would, you know, freeze under the pressure. I played sports like most kids. Uh, in where where I am in Canada, you know the winters are you know very cold. So in Australia, you guys understand. You know minus ten to uh, you know minus twenty degrees Celsius. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that is in Fahrenheit. Uh, it's cold. And then uh, of course in the summers, it's it's almost like Australia, so thirty to forty degrees uh, wow. in uh, July and August. So we get we have all the seasons here, which is actually great. It makes you appreciate uh, each each season or just pray for. it to end. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. so, so, so I played sports, but I, I got into competitive hockey in Canadian by Canadian standards at a late age, uh, 12 years old. Uh, so I started playing hockey as a goalie, a goaltender. And I learned some lessons from hockey that, it, hey, if I actually tried really hard or I did extra drills and strategies and stretches and exercises outside of the actual you know, practices and games, I would improve. And so my my skill level accelerated pretty quickly. I kind of jumped levels and jumped. At one point, I jumped an age group. I, I started doing very well, and it wasn't until high school that I realized I could potentially apply what I learned in hockey uh, to my my schooling. Right. Um, but it was actually a combination of that and discovering self-help books and autobiographies. I remember reading Christopher Reeve's, uh, you know, Superman, his autobiography. You know, af- of course, after he had his uh, spinal cord injury, mm. and uh, Arthur Ashe, who was a big tennis star, one of his autobiography. And then, of course, I, I stumbled upon uh, Tony Robbins' books, you know, uh, "Awaken the Giant Within" and yeah. uh, uh, "Unlimited Power," and those were really mind-blowing. But the main book that really affected me the most was Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm. Uh, That, to me, was a game changer. And this was maybe when I was 14 or 15 years old. And I was still struggling in school. I was in high school, the very bottom of the class, still anxious about Especially in school, I was anxious, not so much in sports. But eventually, I learned if I don't do something, if I don't take control of life, which these books really teach you, if I don't take control, if I don't become proactive, uh, life is going to determine the my trajectory, my outcome for me. And up to that point, I was basically a victim to my circumstances. So I, I decided to apply this, what I've learned in hockey and sports, uh, in terms of improving uh, and what I learned from these self-help books and autobiographies to schooling. And and so I pulled my grades up enough to go to get into university. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's there's stories more from there. But of course, I went on to do my undergraduate and I got a health degree, a health uh, science degree. Then I stayed another couple of years to do my psychology undergraduate degree. Then I did my master's uh, uh, in clinical psychology, my PhD in clinical psychology as well. So I went, it's actually interesting. I went from bottom two students. It was me and one other student that were the the lowest students in the class. Uh, This Mm. was grade eight. I remember that. Uh, And in university, after my uh, psychology undergrad degree, I I graduated with the highest average of psychology majors. So it was a big turnaround for me. um, And it had a lot to do with applying the strategies, the psychological strategies I learned from sports, self-help books, and of course, then learning in psychology itself. So that's sort of how, that's, that's my, uh, my background to kind of Mm-hmm. Get get us started. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Look, that's really impressive. And and one one thing that I think stood out to me was mm-hmm. the fact that you were reading books like Tony Robbins books, which I love. I love Tony Robbins stuff. I've mm-hmm. read those mm-hmm. two that you mentioned, and also Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I read that. Loved that book too. Fantastic mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm.
1: Highly recommend.
0: Highly recommend all those books to everyone. Um, what interested me was you're reading those at fourteen and fifteen years of age. Now. I don't know many 14, 15-year-olds that read that kind of stuff. I think more 15, 14, 15-year-olds should read that kind of stuff, and that's definitely something I'll be encouraging my children to be reading. Mm. Um, I was reading those kind of books in my 30s, early 30s, and so, and and I know that if I'd been re- exposed to those that kind of literature earlier, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I can imagine what, where I'd be today, being and better places, but that's okay, it's better, better later then never. So that that's fine. So that, and, that's that's really that, impressive. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's great you brought that up. I never actually thought of that actually. That now that you say that, it's funny because my parents were very into reading. I hated reading with a passion. The motivation for me was really that anxiety and feeling you know, feeling sick of being a victim to you know my emotions, uh, you know my circumstances, and that sort of thing, and and, and just not believing in myself. And and you know, I, I probably saw Tony Robbins on an infomercial. I'm sure that's how I saw him. And as a kid, of course, you have no money. But it's interesting now that I think back. You know, that that is a really good point because and and it, this is really why I bring this up. It, it is true that without exposure to those, I probably wouldn't have done. You know, gone into the field I went into. So I do owe a lot of gratitude to Tony Robbins and Stephen Covey, and uh, I read Scott Peck's uh, "The Road Less Traveled" as well. Oh,
0: that's that's a fantastic book, that one. I've, yes. I've listened to. The, I've I've got the audio version. I've listened to it at least three times now. It's on my oh, wow. yearly to read because it's yeah, an amazing book that one.
1: You know that's interesting. I haven't read it since then. I, I should go back. I remember one concept from it. I never forgot, which was uh, the importance of delaying gratification. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, that that resonated also. That also came up in in Stephen Covey's book as well. That idea of you know doing hard things now to gain benefits later. And that was you know just a new concept for me as a kid, as a teenager. Uh, but that's I that's true. Those
0: that's, things. I think for all teenagers and yeah. and for many adults. So. Yeah, definitely. But before before we get into that, I, I wanted to know yeah. a bit about your parents. So, what kind of influence did your parents have in your life? Or like, what did your father do for a living? Maybe your mother as well.
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. So my so my
0: parents were,
1: they met as actors, like theater actors. My dad did some, a lot of Canadian television and, and uh, commercials. So when I was a kid, he would often be like in the brand Flakes commercial. He was like the brand Flakes guy or something, you know, that's, that's how people knew me by, uh, okay. but <laughs> so, so my dad, you know, my parents are, uh, you know, they, they have university education, so they're pretty educated, although I did grow up, uh, we, we lived in a t- rougher part of Toronto, even even though they're actors they didn't have a lot of money so my dad you know my mom's from england she came to the united states actually when she was ooh, i need to check this i think she was six or eleven. One was her sister and one was her i can't remember when they came over uh at a young age uh and met my dad in new york city in uh, probably in a theater company uh, when they, they were doing work my mom, so she, she's she got this personality where she is uh, – this is one of the main personality dimensions called – I call it motivation and self-control. The uh, literature calls it conscientiousness, and, and, and so she was really high on this. This is obviously what it sounds like. She's a very motivated person, has a really strong ability to delay gratification. So she was the the really conservative one in terms of, you know, uh, she got a job as a box office manager of a theater company and uh, or kind of worked her way up to that position. And she would get up very early in the morning. She was, a, you know, a morning person, do all of her chores and then reward herself after with doing things she liked, like reading books and she goes to plays and that sort of thing. Uh, and I actually mentioned this in the in my book, Achieve. That's you know the idea of do, you know basically doing all the hard stuff, uh, get it out of the way, and then you can sort of reward yourself after. You know I really learned that from my mom. Mm-hmm. So she was sort of the um, the level-headed one, you know, very disciplined. Uh, so my father, on the other hand, was very. He's very creative. He is. Uh, he he. So he's an actor. He's written scripts. Just recently filmed a uh, short movie short in uh, Mexico that he's uh, he directed and, and uh, filmed and and, and wrote and he was in politics at one point. He ran for politics. So he didn't win. But, he, mm-hmm. you know, that was a part of my life. Uh, I remember as a kid, I'd go to uh, these uh, peace marches, you know, anti-nuclear bomb marches. Uh, so I was exposed to that. So my, you know, my dad would, he's the opposite. He's a night owl. So he'd be up, up very late at night and uh, sleep in in the mornings. And he would go on these creative sort of spurts where he would be, uh, you know, you know, get very hyper-focused and, you know, create things. And so he, his acting career was longer than my mom's, and he doesn't uh, do any acting now. He's retired. I, I, I inherited both of these sides of my parents: uh, the the sort of highly motivated, disciplined part of my mom, I seem to have gotten that trait or set of traits. And for my dad, this sort of dreamer, you know, doesn't really fit into a nine-to-five job. Just he would refuse to ever work in a in a quote-unquote real nine-to-five job. That's just completely mm. against his character. Right. Uh, you know, it would be, be soul-crushing for him. And I have a part of that in me as well. So mm-hmm. so that really affected and uh, influenced me in terms of what I'm uh, doing now and, and how I developed.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And when mm. you graduated and you've got your degree, master's doctorate, after that, did you begin freezing Sport and Performance Psychology?
1: Yes, yeah, so I didn't do that right away. I really believed... In, in, just to take one step back in Canada, there are no sports psychology or performance psychology PhD programs, at least as far as I know, at least, and Mm -hmm. definitely not when I was in, in school. So I always knew that I've, like you said, in the introduction, I've been fascinated by what makes people successful and that always really interested me. But I also believed that I, to, to be really good at helping people high achievers, and even, I like helping anybody, of course, but, you know, to to ever work in that population, I really knew that I have to do, uh, to to be really good at it, I have to see people at every sort of level of problem, uh, every socioeconomic, you know, status, uh, every type of mental disorder, so I had this really eclectic Training background, because when you're doing a PhD in clinical psychology, it's, it's different than a regular PhD in that you have to do all this clinical extra work. So it takes maybe two, three years longer than a typical PhD program. So, but you yeah. have some choice about what practicums or internships or residencies you do. Uh, and so I... Ended up uh, trying to expose myself to the the hardest and most varied populations, so and that's why, as in the introduction, you say because'm I'm, now I'm technically licensed as a clinical psychologist, forensic, psychologist, and neuropsychologist. so so I've worked with people with you know severe brain injuries, so this is the neuropsychology side, so brain injuries, dementia, Alzheimer's so I would help diagnose uh, you know the earlier stages of people who are going through dementia or Alzheimer's. I did a postdoctoral fellowship in, in that uh, in that area. Of course I worked with university students that was the first sort of practicum I had I worked with workers compensation claims these are you know people who have been injured on the job who've had severe traumas so people with trauma I've worked with people with what we call personality disorders which are basically lifelong patterns of thinking behaving that are really what we call maladaptive. Uh, you can think of narcissistic personality disorder, uh, antisocial, which is another word for saying, or similar to psychopaths. Worked in the prison system, of course, uh, worked with people who've I've assessed and, and done work with pedophiles, to people who've uh, murdered people, to people who, uh, you know, all kinds of things. Um, mm,
0: that's really wide scope. Yes. <laughs> yep.
1: Yes. So, and I can go yeah. on and on about all the populations I've worked with. And uh, you know, I really think that has helped me be able to understand human nature because the reality is in our lives, we tend to associate with people that are generally similar to us, usually in values and also in personality traits to some extent. So, and one more thing is in terms of intelligence, we tend to associate with people who are similar to us in a lot of ways. So, we often get a skewed perception of what is normal or what is average. So if you, you yeah, know,
0: I, I, and I constantly say that to my wife. You know, when you know, sometimes because we do that as people, <clears throat> you know, we compare ourselves to others, and, and I say to my wife sometimes, you know, what is normal? Mm-hmm. Who, who, who defines what normal is? It's it's an interesting question, anyway.
1: Exactly, right? And so if you go to university, for example, we kind of forget that that's a subpopulation of of people that have similar, to some extent, similar values and intelligence levels. And then, of course, we have friends that are of similar, usually of similar intelligence and values. And we start to believe over time, uh, not consciously, it just that's what we're exposed to, that that's basically normal. Of course, you know with the with the advent of the internet and YouTube and you can see all sorts of things that you think wow people that's a very stupid thing to do or a strange thing to do, and you forget there's a you know a lot of people that we're not exposed to are doing all sorts of things that that are you know not um that in your in our opinion are not maybe the smartest things uh, their values are very different than ours that's a bias that we, we all fall into and it's okay to be that way, but we have to remember that that is our bias. So our own experiences determines our perception of what is normal. And so, and the opposite happens, of course, with psychologists. Most psychologists who deal with people with problems start to believe it's very normal to be, you know, depressed a lot and really right. anxious a lot, and right. you know that sort of thing. And they have a skewed perception of, for example, uh, when you have a traumatic event like a car accident. If you talk to a lot of psychologists and, and therapists, they'll, they'll sort of perceive that it's very normative. In other words, it's common to have. PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder after experiencing a severe trauma. but the reality is the vast majority actually do not uh, actually end up with any symptom any significant psychological problems as a result of car accidents and other traumas. they usually get get over it pretty quickly. But psychologists don't see those people because they don't need treatment, they don't need help. So that's just another example. Mm, uh, so yeah. I, I, I really, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's something to always keep in mind. But I, I, mm. I really, you know, worked on trying to, to see as many different people as possible. I was never 100% sure how I would get back into, uh, you know, working with more successful or high-achieving people, but one thought was to do research in that area. Uh, But, you know, after a couple of years of working clinically, because I still felt I was learning and growing from uh, working with these different populations, then I started to see more individuals who were, uh, you know, quote-unquote high-achievers, usually athletes. I basically... Worked on, you know, developing more of a brand, you know, website logo, practice, consulting name, and working up that way, and so that's sort of how I got to where I am today. I do, I still do clinical work. I still think it's important, but a big part of my time now is is working with high achievers and and writing a like the book I wrote. I'm writing a second, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a book on in that series as well right now. So,
0: yeah, thank you for that. And the book Achieve. I'll read the whole title of the book. So it's called Achieve. Uh, Find out who you are, what you really want, and how to make it happen. These are really, really important topics for every person. For us to to reach our full potential, these are really important things. And and some of the issues that the book helps to overcome is if you're unsure of your life's purpose, if you're afraid you're living below your true potential, if you have trouble staying motivated and focused on your goals. And one of the ones I ask you, Chris, is, Look With the first one here, about those that are unsure of their life's purpose, what impact do you find it has on a person when they go from not having any direction to realizing what mark they want to make on the world? <laughs> That's an amazing
1: question. You know, it's almost indescribable in my mind. I, I've worked with a lot of people who you know were living their lives incongruent with their real values, their mission, their purpose, and even their personalities as well. And so once you get to the point where you do discover the purpose or you know, it's debatable whether you have one purpose in life. I think you have met multiple purposes or multiple missions in different areas of your life. But once you get to that point, it's night or day. One of the main quotes that I that I repeat that repeats throughout the book is uh, Frederick Nietzsche's: "He who has a why can bear almost any how," uh, and mm-hmm. that's really the truth. Once you have a a purpose, uh, you know, a burning reason why you want to do something, you know, no longer become as difficult as they were. They're always still difficult, but but never as difficult as they were. So, you know, working a nine-to-five job, you know, I'll give you an example. Personally, so when I – even after I graduated, I worked, you know, in a hospital setting. For lack of a better word, it's, it was soul-crushing for me. I just – felt uh, it was, uh, you're kind of a cog in the wheel. I do these assessments and treatments, and it was just not really fulfilling my purpose. It was, uh, of course, working with people with severe problems, which they need help, of course, but of course, we all have our own values and purpose and uh, and, uh, aspirations. So once I turned it around and really started to Focus more on what I wanted to do. Uh, things changed. And just even, for example, when I went from floundering in high school to just de- deciding I wanted to get into either psychology or medicine or even chiropractic was an idea of mine. I wanted to get into health. That was my either mental health, physical health. And once I had that purpose, I went from the lowest student basically to the top student. So it completely changes your life. There's one thing that the Buddha talks about pain versus suffering. If you don't have a purpose, when you go through life, you're usually suffering. When you have a purpose, there's pain, but you're not suffering, if Mm. that makes sense. It's it's still hard. It's not necessarily easier. It's a lot easier, but there's still pain, but there's a difference between having pain and suffering. And so uh, I think that's so true.
0: Yeah, definitely found the same in my life as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. Another one of the issues that you're book, Helps to Overcome, Achieve, Helps to Overcome, is for those that are, that are afraid of they're living below the true potential. And what I wanted to ask you, Chris, is how many people do you feel live below their true potential?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's an amazing question, too. I would guess, of course, we don't have any numbers on this, but my guess is 90%, 95% of people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, you'd know more than I would because, you know, you deal with this kind of stuff. But my guess would have been something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we have way more potential than we actually realize. Uh, we we are there's so many things you can tweak from really getting you know the a really deep one is like this book of, is really finding you know what's important to you, your passion, your your why, your mission. You know, of course, there's that, but there's. So many things you can do from tweaking how you sleep, tweaking what you eat, tweaking how you move, exercise, what you put in your body from food to supplements, how to control your emotions. There's so many things that you could actually tweak and on so many levels that, that could make your life Better, my wife thinks I'm a little bit obsessed. She's a psychologist, of course, as well. But I'm constantly striving to not perfection. I'm not a perfectionist, but but to tweak and constantly improve everything I do, from from sleep to my emotions, to my goals, to my uh, nutrition, to my physical activity. All these things, I'm super fascinated by that. And I practice everything in the books I talk, that I talk about on my, uh, you know, that I talk about on podcasts. I do all these things on myself as well. And so I really think to be able to give advice on certain things, of course, there's certain things I've not experienced, uh, like I've never gone through a divorce. So I can't really give. I could give advice, but it's not coming from personal experience. But when it comes to high performance, uh, I like to try everything that I'm recommending. And I think that's extremely, extremely important.
0: Mm, yeah, definitely. And and one of the things I, I really got out of that book uh, you mentioned earlier, M. Scott Peck's um, The Road mm. Less Traveled, was that every patient he worked with, he felt he had to give something of himself. There was changes. It changed his life. Uh, it's hard for me to explain it, but it's like mm-hmm. what you were just saying there. For you to be effective in really helping people, you have to be practicing yourself and making. And it's just those little improvements every day. Like you said, we don't become great people or uh, influential people overnight it's just little things and in all areas too having mm-hmm. that balance uh, is so important another one of the things that the book talks about chief talks about is about helping people that are having trouble staying motivated and focused on their goals what do you think is the biggest one or two reasons why people don't stay motivated and focused on their goals
1: that's a great question there's a lot of reasons why people don't stay motivated and focused on their goals what the main main reason is their goals aren't really congruent with their values their personality and their overall mission so in the book it's very hands-on and practical what I try to do is actually write a book that was that, that was the type of book I wanted to read and I think other people do as well which is not too heavy on science and talking about every study I want, you know talking a bit about the author's experience um, and being very practical. So to stay, you know, motivated in goals, which is really what the whole book is doing is the very first step is to know your personality. And uh, let me quickly go through the five global personality dimensions that, Mm -hmm. that, uh, that I think are really important. These have been found across cultures. Personality psychologists have been researching this for many, many, many years, you know, 50 plus years. Essentially, they've come up with five, global personality dimensions uh, most of the names are the same in the literature as I describe them in the book I've tweaked some of them to sound uh, to, to have a, a more descriptive title so the first one is you're you're standing on what I call negative emotions so this is really your just like it sounds, your susceptibility to experience negative emotions, whether it's being socially, you know, social uh, anxiety. These aren't clinical disorders, these are just personality dimensions. So uh, these are normal ways of being and thinking. So, you know, anxiety, stress, worry, even feeling down, uh, that kind of thing, uh, whether you panic under, you know, stressful circumstances. We all follow along a continuum with most of us near the middle and, and, and then we search a bell shaped curve. We, some of us are very high and some of us are very low. So knowing these things are extremely important. Next one is uh, extroversion and introversion. So extroversion is a lot like people think, but there are some differences that are, the research shows, that are a bit different than what people uh, in uh, in in the public seem to understand with extroversion. So extroversion does have to do with whether you're talkative, whether you like being with people. One way to really understand it, though, is really your external stimulation tolerance. So people who are high on extroversion tend to have a very high threshold where they can tolerate a lot of external stimulation, whether it's social stimulation or other types of stimulation, like fast-paced work environments, going to places like Las Vegas. People who are highly extroverted can, you know, they like that stuff and they tend to um, thrive in those environments and they can handle it for long periods of time before becoming exhausted. People who are introverted uh, aren't necessarily socially anxious, which is really uh, related more to negative emotions, that dimension, because these dimensions are actually not correlated. So in other words, where you stand on each dimension is not related to how you stand on the others. So with introversion, people tend to be more reserved, a bit more detached. They're not as energetic. They're more comfortable working alone. They don't really like too much excitement or stimulation. That can cause anxiety, but usually causes just feeling exhausted and you know just overwhelmed. And they don't experience introverts don't experience as much positive emotions as extroverts. This is another myth out there that the literature, the the, the research has shown, is not true. Negative emotions and positive emotions are not on the same scale. They're not related uh, unless you have a clinical disorder like depression. So. Our tendency to experience positive emotions, be cheerful, sort of energetic, uh, easily excited, has a, is a function of extroversion, where you land on that scale, whereas whether you feel anxiety, you know, uh, self-doubt, and that sort of thing is really a function of negative emotions, and they're not actually correlated. So that's uh, something to know. The next one is openness to experience, so people who are high on this tend to be really imaginative, creative by nature. I call these actually basic personality tendencies, so they're not hard and fast, they're just tendencies that we all sort of have more of a tendency one way or the other. So people who are high on openness tend to be curious, they're willing to try new things, they're really intrigued by different points of view and and different meeting different people and different cultures. People who are low on this tend to be more down-to-earth, practical, more interested in logic than maybe gut feelings and emotions. They're more conservative. They're more traditional. They have pretty strong ideas of right and wrong. Then we have agreeableness, which is, this is your attitude towards people. So people who are highly agreeable are very trusting. They're very revealing of their thoughts and feelings. They like to help people. They are more interested in cooperating than competing against people. They're very modest People who are low tend to be more skeptical. They're more guarded with what they share with others. They're more focused on their own problems. They're more interpersonally competitive. Uh, They're pretty vocal about what they disagree with. They're more tough-minded And lastly is motivation and self-control, which I described, which is, you know, how the people who are high on this are very disciplined, competent, they're very achievement-oriented, they have lots of goals. So those people tend to, you know, easily set goals and and, and work towards these goals. People who are low on this tend to be more inefficient. They're not, you know, they're not big on schedules, they're more disorganized, they're more undisciplined. They don't really have a lot of ambition or drive. So listeners, uh, you know, you can think about, people in your own life, and of course yourself, and try and peg people on on this scale. Because this is basically the closest thing we have to a fact in terms of personality research. When we look at uh, how people differ, we all differ across cultures on these five domains. There's some debate whether there's a sixth domain or not, or how you split these domains. And each of these domains or dimensions is made up of a whole bunch of subtraits. So I think that's the very first step is to know your personality. Then the next step the next step you really need to know your values what is important to you. And in the book, I have all these exercises, how to, you know, you know a funeral exercise, which is very similar to Stephen Covey's, uh, has that in his book as well. And I have a list of values, like a measure you can take, but you have to get in touch with what's really important to you because your values are and your personality, are, of course, are not the same thing. Your personality is kind of like your, hard, your hardware. It's your biology. It's very hard to change. You can change it to some extent, but it's very hard to change. Your values are really completely based on your experience in life. And you can change your values in a heartbeat. You can't change your personality in a heartbeat. Once you know that your values, then I think the next step is really knowing what your strengths are, knowing your talents, knowing your skills, your interests. And I have a bunch of exercises to figure those things out. This helps you get to know your passions, which again are still different from your values and different from your personality. And only then in my opinion, can you come to the point where you're ready to figure out what your purpose or mission is? And once you come up with that, then you should be making goals that are in line with all these things before it. And you make these goals, and that's what becomes really important. And remind me again, because I talk so much here, what was your (laughs) question? Your question was about...
0: The question uh, was about people staying motivated and focused, or what is the biggest thing that Stops them from being motivated and focused, and I think what I'm getting from what you're sharing here is that the reason is because they haven't done these basic things that you've talked about, and I'm guilty of this too. Like I'm totally guilty of this where. I'll borrow my goals of someone else. Okay, my goal is to be earning a million dollars a year from my business. Okay, mm-hmm. so that let's say that's a big goal. Obviously, not my only goal because I'll have health goals and family goals, relationship goals, and so forth. But that might not be practical for me, or, or maybe the, I'm in the wrong business. It's not so much the money goal, but maybe the the business I'm in mean, is not lined up with my values and my mission. Yes. So if we don't have these foundational, we don't have a foundational understanding. And we're going ahead and setting goals, then it's understandable why we're not staying motivated or focused.
1: I can't even describe how many people I've worked with that that turned out to be the major problem in their life. So these are people, usually high achievers, that come to me. And sometimes they come to me, and I give examples in the book, but sometimes they come to me with... Just saying, look, I want to be – I give an example in the book of – of course, I've altered information of all the people, so they can't be identified. It's uh, for for good reason. Uh, So one example is a lawyer that I worked with. uh, So she came in, and she wanted to – basically, her goal was to become partner in her firm and sort of move up the ladder you know, turned out with working with her that she wasn't really happy with what she was doing. She sort of life can start to dictate these things for us. And it's it's sometimes very subtle. So, you know, for example, uh, you get complimented or you take a class by, you know, a law professor, for example, and they were a really dynamic teacher. And so then you start to think, oh, maybe I should go into, you know, uh, become a lawyer. This seems really interesting. And then you get reinforced by getting good grades, you get into law school, which is not easy to do. And then people start to compliment you, wow, you're really good at this. And then you can go for years and years pursuing a career that wasn't really congruent with your values and and, and your personality. Another example is, you know, people just... They have particular personalities that don't really suit certain things. And let's actually give an example of, let's say, online marketing. When you write emails, mass emails, and I do mm-hmm. this myself as well, knowing your personality could be very helpful in this uh, circumstance. So mm-hmm. if you're, you're, let's say you're uh, low on the agreeableness dimension. So that, again, that means that you tend to be more skeptical, a bit more tough-minded, and then you look at these examples of how to write good, you know, emails to your mailing list. They're very positive and, and, and cheery and and, <laughs> and and encouraging. And it may be hard for you to write in that style and it may feel really just very difficult. And so, of course, that's why, you know, writing let's say a mass email needs to be congruent with your personality i mean you want to write something that of course that, that is of use to your readers but trying to be something that you're not in other words trying mm-hmm. to be really cheery mm-hmm. and and all these things that that's in the long run it's going to it's going to backfire because you're constantly going against your own grain mm-hmm. But at the same time, you got to think of your values as well. Your values, uh, you know, this is the only way to really utilize your values, capitalize on your values, or to live a life congruent with your values. Then sometimes you have to go against your personality as well. But you have to be aware of that, that that's what you're doing. Accept that and and work with that. But, of course, being yourself – is very, very important when it comes to these things or else you end up being really unhappy and often these people don't know why.
0: And I, I see that and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And I found out for myself too, when when I was learning internet marketing and I fell into the same trap that you just mentioned there, I was taught to do things certain ways. So I, I did it in that way, even though it wasn't my personality, but people can realize that. See, people can tell if you're not allowing your uniqueness to come through, you're not going to be happy yourself, but your, your followers are going to realize that you're not going to have the success anyway. or well, not the full success you can have if you are truly unique. I mean, it doesn't mean that you don't learn successful processes and principles, but you can always adapt them to your unique personality. And that's what you talk about. I see here can Achieve, you discuss to learn how your unique personality is the foundation of your success. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you've been talking about here. Other things you talk about in the book, finding out what's really important to you, unleashing your unique strengths and passions, unveiling the mission and purpose that will propel you forward, learning how to set and finally achieve the right goals for you. Can you give any other examples of anyone else that you've worked with where you've taken them through these foundational principles and helped them to make some significant changes and have greater happiness or, and or success.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, here, let me think. There is a college uh, we, we call university-level basketball player I worked with. In the book, I call him Leroy. Leroy was one of those examples where, you know, he was taller than most kids. He was naturally athletic and he excelled in basketball in his community. And of course, the United States, you know, basketball is very big. And uh, so he was constantly reinforced by people around him, including his parents. He, he came from a poor neighborhood and family and he was constantly reinforced with his basketball. It made him feel useful and working with him after a while. it tr- He was underperforming, uh, you know, in, in, in college basketball. It turned out that he was actually quite introverted, and so he often felt just overwhelmed with college basketball. You know, very big. There's, there's, there's media involved. There's mm. you know stadiums filled with people, and of course, in, in basketball, you're with the, with the team, and, and there's just constant chatter, and you're on the team bus, and all these things. So he often felt different from others, and he wasn't really sure why. It turned out he his personality was just a very introverted person, but it also turned out that his that. He, you know, long story short, he didn't actually want to, his real purpose and mission in life wasn't to play professional basketball. It took some time for him to realize this and to find his own unique path. So this is another example of sort of life and your own talents and skills uh, sort of dictating where you're going in life. And of course, when it comes to the highest level, You can't survive on talent alone. Talent can only go so far. If you don't have that burning why, if you're not working within your personality and and working with your strengths, he was more interested in criminology than he was in basketball. But, of course, in, in college, we call it, they call it college ball and college basketball. You know, there was uh, the coaches and the classes. Doing well in school was sort of the last priority. Uh, mm-hmm. That was the, the least important thing. He just found that a big part of why he went so far in basketball was – for other people other than himself. So like his mm-hmm. parents and, you know, his, his you know, his uh, siblings and friends would, you know, I remember he would tell me his mom would joke about how he would, um, you know, she could, he could buy him, buy her Alexis uh, finally, and, and sort of get them out of poverty. This was their ticket. And so he felt a lot of pressure but it also just wasn't in line. Being a professional basketball player was not in line with what he really wanted to do. He didn't have that burning desire. So long story short, he, we, I worked with him and, and we sort of made a deal to play another season because you don't want to make any rash decisions. We did a bunch of the exercises in the book and, and, and he, he finally realized that he wanted to pursue criminology and hopefully I'm not forgetting this now, but I think he went into the FBI or some sort of law enforcement last time I heard. And so he, I think he did a master's degree, and he's he's. Last time I heard, he's loving it. He's finally living his life congruent with his true interests, his values, his passions, and more in line with his personality as well. And so he has no regrets leaving basketball.
0: I love talking about this stuff, Chris, because it is so important and it's relevant to everybody. And the mm-hmm. sad thing is, as we we talked about in the beginning, I th- I feel most of us a very high percentage, ninety percent, ninety five percent more are not definitely not living to their full potential. So many times we look at people like successful Olympic athletes or successful entrepreneurs and we idolize them. But really, there is no difference between what we're able to achieve, what they've achieved, but it is understanding all these principles that we've talked about today. It is so very, very important because we can be experiencing much more joy and fulfillment if we take the time, and it doesn't take a lot of time, to understand ourselves and what we really want. And so books like yours, Achieve, can help people do that. So that's something I highly recommend. You can grab your copy of Achieve, Chris's book, on Amazon, Amazon Amazon.com. And the name of it again is Achieve, Find Out Who You Are, What You Really Want, and How to Make It Happen by Dr. Christopher Friesen. You can also... Find out more about what Chris does and follow him and, and, and work with him on his website, performance.com. That's F R I E S E N performance.com. Before we end today, Chris, is there any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, I, I want to bring up one more thing. Like we said at the beginning, there's no doubt about this. We have so much more potential than we realize. Of course, there's limits. You know, if you're four foot eight and you uh, you can't dribble very well and you're 26 years old, you're probably not going to make the NBA no matter how much you love and value basketball uh, mm. or, or whatever the sport is. So you, you have to be realistic. but always remember your perception of yourself and your you know, abilities is most likely skewed to the negative in the sense that you're underestimating what you really can do and what you're capable of. And I've seen this so many times. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it with my clients. And, you know, getting over that hump, accepting that you, you have a lot more potential is one of the main keys to success.
0: Thank you. Some great words of wisdom. We'll end there because we really appreciate your time and the value that you shared with us, Chris, on this topic. Again, FriesenPerformance.com, Dr. Christopher Friesen's book on Amazon.com is achieved, so we highly recommend those. Thank you so much for your time today, Chris. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you got a lot out of it. As a way of saying thank you for being a loyal listener, I've got a very special gift for you, an exclusive report where I reveal all the tools and services I use every day in my online businesses, including the sites I use to get targeted traffic at literally pennies per click. It's ready for you to download right now. To get free immediate access to my online business resource report, head on over to JohnsLikes.com forward slash podcast this is john lagadaka signing off i'll see you all next time